Well, it's great to be together. It's great to be together with you. If you are online with us, thanks for joining us. I feel like I'm still new enough here. I probably should do a short intro. My name is Bob Seal. I'm the executive pastor of Next Gen Ministries. I am married to my wife, Rosalind, and we've, in October, we're gonna have been married 32 years, you know, believe it or not. Yeah, thank you. It feels like a good run. She's here at the service. Hi, babe. I knew she wouldn't want me to recognize her, but you can, she'll be the girl I'm hanging out with afterwards, okay? Um, hey, we have th- four kids. We've got Trey, Shannon, Riley, and Zoe. All right, Trey's 27, Shannon's 25, Riley's 21, finishing up her last year of nursing school, and Zoe is gonna be four in October, all right? I probably should have told you, Zoe's not a human. She's our Labrador retriever. (laughs) I had a few of you, though. You should have seen your faces. Somebody in the back was like, oh, my. (laughs) Right, right? Now, that's my immediate family. My extended family, well, here's a picture of them. Yeah, that's just my nieces and nephews. There's 42 of those hooligans. And uh, I also have two brothers, six sisters, if you're tr- and they're all married. If you're trying to keep up with the math, math, that makes 60. We've added a few more since this picture, but at 60, you just stop counting, okay? All right, you're not gonna know their names, their birthdays, it's okay, they, they don't worry about it, all right? And so number two up there, that's Billy, if you start on the left, he's a Marine, married to Jackie, Uncle Chuck, Aunt Maria, and then you go right to number three, Yeah, I'm not gonna do that to you. (laughs) That's a whole sermon series up there, that group right there. But when you have a family as big as our family, one of the things that you become an expert at is children's games. Games like Chutes and Ladders, Candyland, Freeze Tag, the classic hide and seek, right? And this has become a distinct advantage for me because I can't really compete at 58 years old like I used to in basketball. I'm not probably gonna win a foot race against most of you. So I can definitively say this. If we play Candyland, I'm gonna dominate you, okay? I'm an expert. I'm also a self-proclaimed professional at hide and seek. I've had a lot of practice, as you can imagine. Anybody played hide and seek with a little kid? recently, you know, maybe a a son, daughter, grandkid. All right, when you're young and you play hide and seek, the goal is to be found, isn't it? My daughter, Shannon, she used to just go to the living room couch, we're counting, to go hide and then get down and get on her knees and put her head down like this, this little lump on the couch. She wouldn't even throw a blanket over herself. So we would walk around, we're like, I wonder where Shannon is. Ooh, she's such a good hider. I hope we could find her before dinner. And then I would walk over and sit down on her a little bit and she'd start giggling and I'd pop up and be all surprised. I'm like, oh, there you are, amazing. What a great hider you are. It's a little white lie, but it's okay. But when you're young, you wanna be found. Now, as the nieces and nephews got older, they wanted to win. They wanted to be hidden. And so they would they learn to kind of like contort their bodies and be able to get into these small spaces that no human being should really be able to fit in. But what they didn't know, that hide and seek was actually dress rehearsal for real life. See, their aunts and uncles knew it. Their uncle Bobby knew it. That's what they called me, Uncle Bobby. They still do. 
we had all learned that along the way as we grew up that there were things that we should probably keep secret. We should probably hide. We were keeping things that were going on in our marriage a secret. We were keeping things maybe happening in our jobs a secret. Maybe some of the things we feel, felt or our insecurities. We all in some way were trying to make sure that the outside didn't betray what was going on in the inside. We were trying to make sure that it looked like we had it all together. And I guess part of the reason was just self-protection. We maybe feared what people might think of us if they, knew, if they knew we didn't have it all together. Or maybe worse, they would judge us. But we tried to keep up the appearances, a big smile when we walked in the house by the cars we drove and the clothes we wore. Have you ever lived this way? playing hide and seek in real life, or is it just me and my unusually large family? Don't we hide in our own way, our suffering, pain, loneliness, shame, our compulsions or our addictions, our inadequacies, our insecurities? You have your list, I have mine. But what if we are only as healthy as the secrets we carry? See, we might be hiding just a little bit from each other and we might be trying to hide from God. But the Bible is clear that no matter how hard we try, we can't hide from God. David, who wrote many of the Psalms in the Bible wrote this in Psalm 139. And David, David was famous for trying to hide from God, but he was found out. And look at his observation. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. The picture David paints is of a God that is constantly looking for us. He's constantly searching for us, and he knows us completely, so that means he knows our secrets as well. And his response, contrary to maybe what we've been taught or what we experienced growing up, it isn't condemnation, it isn't judgment. Look at what Paul writes in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When Jesus sees us, there is no shame. When God looks us at us and sees our secrets, he's not gonna judge. There's no condemnation. There's no shame. When Jesus sees us, there's grace and there's love. We may be fearing people's responses to the things that we try to keep secret, but we don't have to fear God's. And here's our main thought for today. When we stop hiding, we can start seeking. When we stop hiding, we can start seeking. 
it's almost like if we were honest, we're playing this weird game of hide and seek in our life where everybody's a hider, right? It's like, okay, you've got 30 seconds to hide. What, it, it's be like this in a church. You've got 30 seconds to hide, go. Countdown, clock's on, we all go hide. But there's no seeker. That'd be ridiculous, right? Now, nobody will lose if we play that way. But I guarantee you nobody will win. Thankfully, in Psalm 139, we see a God who's seeking the question we need to ask is, are we seeking God? If you have your Bibles, open it up to Mark chapter five. It's literally one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Jesus encounters a sick woman who's an expert at hiding. She's living that hide and seek life. She's hiding a medical condition, but she's also hiding a tremendous amount of shame. As a father of two daughters, this passage connects deeply with my heart, and it's, it's hard to, to walk through. Because her name is never mentioned, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this event. Because her name is not mentioned, that means the writers of this passage want us, us actually to see ourselves in her story. She's a type of person. She's one of us. So do that as we look through the passage. Now, let me set the scene, what's happening. Jesus and his disciples, they've sailed across this large lake and they land on the shores of a town called Capernaum. They get out of the boat and no sooner are they out of a boat, a man runs up and he falls at Jesus' feet. He's sweating, he's panting, and he begins to beg Jesus to come with him to his house and lay hands on his daughter, his only daughter, who's dying. His name is Jairus, and he's the synagogue leader. Jairus is in such desperation that he kneels in front of Jesus, and in his desperation, he's not even trying to hide it. When was the last time you knelt in front of somebody? This guy's desperate. Well, Jesus, of course, agrees to go with them. This is literally like a 911 moment. And this guy's called Jesus on the phone. It's like, we've got to get there as quick as fast, quick and fast. So I think Jesus and his disciples and Jairus um, started walking. But there was this large crowd that had gathered to see Jesus. And as they saw Jairus asking for a miracle, this crowd gets whipped up into a frenzy. So you, I just imagine Jesus and Jairus walking with purpose over to his house because time is of the essence. Well, the crowd goes from the lakeside and it starts to funnel in to the narrow streets of Capernaum. And as they funnel in, it literally begins to squeeze upon Jesus. And the word that the Bible uses, it begins to press Jesus. And the Greek word for pressed is the same word that they use for crushing grapes to make wine. So Jesus is literally beginning to become crushed by the crowd. And I think the disciples are trying to give him space and trying to move him to Jairus' house as quickly as possible. Now the crowd isn't orderly. It's in a frenzy. It's in anticipation. It's not quiet. It's loud. There's a buzz in the air. People are jostling for position to see Jesus. I think the crowd was sweaty. It was the Middle East, and you know what? If it's sweaty, it's smelly. 
I think it smelled like a middle school, high school football team's locker room, a mix of body odor and Axe body spray. (laughs) See, some of the people in the crowd, they were Jesus followers. Others were curious about Jesus. Others, they were caught up in the hype of this celebrity rabbi who was in their town. Some wanted to see the miracle, and some even had political aspirations for Jesus. That's right. They took politics, and they took Jesus, and they kind of mixed them together. I mean, people back then were messed up. (laughs) And this is where we're going to pick up Mark's account, if you have your Bible. Chapter 5, verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Let that sink in, 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. And yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. The medical condition she had was a hemorrhage. It was internal bleeding. There's more details, but the main point we should understand is back then they didn't have the medical understanding that we have today. So her condition would have been wildly misdiagnosed. And it also would have been wildly misunderstood. In fact, it's very probable, it's likely that they would have attributed this woman's condition to some type of sexual impropriety. She would have been the topic of talk and gossip at school. She would have been the topic of gossip at her church. You wouldn't want your kids to hang out with her. She would have been a bad influence. Her her condition also means that she would have been separated from her church. They wouldn't allow her to come on the weekends. They wouldn't allow her to go to small group. They wouldn't allow her to be a contributor in children's ministry. In fact, they would have said she is defiled. I've got two daughters. Maybe you do too. Defiled. And if somebody came into contact and touched her, they would have been considered defiled as well, guilt by association. She had it been hugged or touched meaningfully in 12 years. She's been in isolation for 12 years. Remember those one, two, three months in COVID where we were locked down? Remember that did to some of us? She's been in lockdown for 12 years. She's isolated, she's overwhelmed in her shame, she's been judged and shunned by the crowd, she's physically sick but emotionally desperate. And in addition, Mark tells us that she's already been taken to the cleaners financially by doctors, not real doctors, by phonies, con artists who were happy to take her money and not help her. This woman's playing the ultimate game of hide and seek. Let's pick up Mark's account in verse 27. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him and touched his cloak because she thought to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. See, she had probably heard about Jesus healing other people with other conditions that would have had the same consequence of isolation and shame. And she thought, maybe, maybe he will do the same for me. And so she's sneaking up behind Jesus, hoping, hoping Jesus has the answer for what she has hoped would be healed for 12 years. Now, she thinks to herself, if I only touch his clothes, and the clothes, what they're talking about are these tassels that were at the bottom of his robe or the bottom of a shawl that he mostly wore, that he would have worn around him that's called a prayer shawl. And these tassels at the bottom of it, there was a, a rumor that had been going around for a long time that if you touched these tassels, that you would be healed. If you touched the tassels of the Messiah's robe, you would be healed. And some were saying that Jesus might be this Messiah. She wants healing, but she also wants anonymity. It's all she's known for 12 years. She's hoping for what I call a Burger King encounter, drive-through encounter with Jesus. Burger King years ago used to have this ad campaign that said, have it your way. It meant you could go order a burger or whatever was on the menu and you could ask them to fix it exactly like you wanted. I'll take a Whopper with cheese, extra pickles, no mustard. You could have it any way you want. And she wants a healing her way. She wants a physical healing with anonymity and then to slip away from the crowd. Well, picture it. This throng of people is moving through the city street. Jesus is on a 911 mission to heal this little girl. The father is desperate. The crowd's moving as fast as they can, but not fast enough for Jairus. And this woman gets far enough in front of Jesus so that when he comes by, she's in the perfect position to touch those tassels. What do you think was going on? What was the inner dialogue? As he gets near, can you feel her heart pumping as she gets near? And she's like, please, Jesus, please, Jesus, let this be true, let this be true, let this be true, let this be true. And she grabs it. And look what Mark says. Verse 29, immediately the bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. What do you think she did? She's trying to be anonymous, but... Could you have helped yourself? I mean, did she go like, yes! Or she just do kind of a silent celebration where she was like, let's go. <laughs> well, you know, she didn't have a chance to do any of that because it says in verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked who touched my clothes. And I don't think he said it mad. I think he said it um, excited, expectant, but also with this urgency. Imagine the crowd's going this way and all of a sudden Jesus is like, whoop, wait, who touched my clothes? It's pushing them back. The crowd can't really stop that fast. And his disciples who are trying to protect him here, 
they're kind of annoyed with him. Jesus, they're thinking, why are you stopping? The crowd's about to run us over. And they say to him, you, you, usually they're like rabbi, teacher, master, something respectful. This time, the son of God is you. Hey, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask who touched me? And I love this. Jesus just ignores them. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the crowd pressed and finally it came to a stop. And I think all of a sudden the shouting and the volume of the crowd lowered. Don't you see what's happening in this moment? You've gotta see it because I think because we're supposed to put ourselves in the story, the creator is hunting for his creation. He's hunting for the woman who he knit together in her mother's womb and who he declared over that this woman was fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139 as well. You should read it. And Jesus is scanning the crowd and the crowd's silent, trying to figure out, ah, whoever that was, they're in trouble. And he scans the crowd until he locks eyes with the woman. This is her greatest nightmare. This is exactly what she was trying to avoid. See, Jesus is searching for her because she's not free yet. She was still hiding. Well, the woman She's found out, she's exposed. And Mark says this is how it goes down with her and Jesus. Verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell, two people, one chapter, falling at Jesus' feet, trembling with fear. And she told him the whole truth the 12 year story and look at what he says. It's so kind and gracious and loving. He says, daughter. People have been calling her defiled for 12 years, and in this moment, the creator of her soul looks at her and says, daughter. See, that's the heart of our father. She expected condemnation and shame because that's what she'd gotten, and it was her way of life. And in front of everybody, the same exact group of people who would have shamed and condemned her for 12 years, she's called. She wanted physical healing. But what she got instead when she was face to face with Jesus was spiritual, social, mental, and emotional healing instead. Her healing was thorough. And for our healing to be thorough, we can't just have Jesus the way we want him. 
He has to have us the way he wants us. It's not a one-way street. And I think in this moment, from the very moment he called her daughter, he had her heart. Jesus wanted her to know he wasn't just present, but he was knowable. Jesus didn't want her to know he was just present, but that Jesus was touchable. He didn't want this woman to know that she'd been healed. He wanted her to know that she'd been seen, invited. And you know God's plan for being touchable, knowable, and making people seen today is? It's us. It's us. He wants us to be his distributors of grace and love into the world when we see people playing hide and seek with their lives. He wants us to be people trustworthy that they can tell their secrets to so that when they bring them to us, we can bring grace and love, the grace and love of Jesus into their life and they can have their healing too that would be thorough. That's why we have to stop hiding so we can start seeking. In order to do, to do that, I have to come to Jesus with my secrets. And I know this is hard work. Coming to Jesus with the very thing you've been trying to hide is deep, intimate work because coming to Jesus with the thing you've been trying to hide means you have a secret. It's just admitting it in itself that you've got a problem but we can go knowing on the other side of that as we let him into those deep places of our life that there's grace and love. There's a heart of a father that when he sees that, he invites you closer and he says, my daughter, my son, come here, bring it in. When we stop hiding, we can start seeking. And you know how you know if you're starting to seek people and you're not hiding as much anymore? All of a sudden, in your relationships with people, you're not worried about being interesting. You're worried about being interested. And you know what happens? People are freer to share their problems and the secrets with us because we're not trying to hide ours anymore. And lastly, instead of just praying for what's going on in our life, I begin to pray for what's going on in the lives of others. And in that, people experience God's love and grace in the heart of a father who calls us sons and daughters. Plum Creek, I want us to be honest about how we personally are living that hide and seek life. So I'm gonna do a hide and seek inventory. Okay, are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. All right, here we go. You're gonna bow your heads in a second, close your eyes, I'm just gonna ask you some questions, and if it's true about you, just slip up your hand. It'll be a safe place, it's just you and me. 
If you're at home online, feel free to do the same thing, except you don't have to close your eyes if you, if you want. So close your eyes. I encourage you to be honest, thoughtful, authentic. Raise your hand if you've ever lived this hide-and-seek kind of life where you're trying to make sure the outside doesn't betray what's really going on in the inside, and you walk around trying to look like you have it all together. But deep down, you know that you don't. Just raise your hands up if that's you. Hold them up. Okay, put them down. Thank you. Maybe like me, you've been playing hide and seek in your relationships. That somewhere in your life, there's a deeply fractured relationship with a friend or in your marriage or with your kids or kids with your parents. And you try to make it look okay on the outside, but deep down inside, you know it's not. Just slip a hand out if you've got that going on in your life. Thank you for that. Maybe you've been trying to hide the anxiety, the, the depression that you walk around with or wake up with every day, trying to put on a big smile, hoping nobody sees. Just slip up a hand if that's you. You can pick your heads up. Some of us came today wanting that Burger King Jesus. We wanted to have Jesus our way, right? We wanted all the Jesus feels that we can get when we come here to church together, and they're good, aren't they? I'm not saying it's bad at all. But maybe in our time together, you realized you don't just need the feels, you actually need Jesus to heal something deep in your life. You need to give him a secret. You need to be met by his grace and his love. I'm gonna pray from the platform in just a second and then we're gonna worship together. But some of us don't need a prayer from the platform. Some of us need a prayer from a person face to face, just like this woman. Look them in the eyes. And after the service, our prayer team's gonna be up here. And you know, you're, your heart's already pounding if you know this. You're like, I think I need, that's me, I need to go up. And I guarantee you there's more that, that will stay seated or not come up, then come up. And I think some people here need your courage. They need to piggyback on your courage at the end of the service to come up and be prayed for by our prayer team. Last Sunday, I watched our high schoolers be given the same invitation to come up and be prayed for. And you guys, a hundred of them came up here. 30 years plus of ministry and I have not seen anything more powerful than that. They stopped hiding and now they're seeking. They are instruments of God's grace and love in their high school and the world. And God took that moment and he turned it into a moment or a movement 
And I think he can do the same in your life here today. So when the prayer team comes up at the end of the service, I dare you to stop hiding so you can start seeking. All right, here's what we're gonna do. Bold move, but we're gonna do it anyway. If you raised your hand for any of those things during the hide and seek assessment, or you should have and you didn't, I want you just to stand right now. Just stand on up, I need some people to be courageous. Me too. We're in pretty good company, aren't we? Look around. We're not hiding anymore, are we, Plum Creek? And if you're still seated, why don't you stand for me? We're gonna worship in a second, but I need to make a confession. I'm a person in process on this too. I don't find it very easy to ask for help, to admit I'm weak, I'm insecure like all of us. But even if I'm in a devastating situation like Jairus, it's hard for me to go ask for help, even if it's from Jesus. See, seven years ago, 3 a.m. on my couch, I was laying there after a second cancer surgery in seven days on my throat, on my thyroid. My mind was spinning, it was racing, my heart was pounding. I was sweating and I was thinking th things like, did they get it all? Is this it? How much longer do I have? Will I get to walk my daughters down the aisle for their wedding and celebrate my sons with him? Will my wife and kids be okay? Will I get the hug and tell that 42, those 42 plus hooligans that I love them? And so in my distress, in my desperation, I needed, I, I went to distraction. I should have gone to prayer, right? But instead I went to my phone and I started scrolling through Facebook. And on my Facebook feed, every other post was about this song powerful song, changed my life. And so out of a mixture of curiosity, annoyance, but needing more distraction, I went from Facebook, pulled it up on Spotify. And the name of the song is Oceans. And the word spoke deep to me. And I know there's somebody in this room that they will speak deep to you as well, but listen to some of them and we're gonna sing it in a second. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. And I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours, you are mine. Jesus didn't touch my cancer in that moment, but he did touch my anxiety, my panic, 
my depression and my hopelessness. He hunted me down that night and he whispered in my ear, ear Bobby, because my dad called me Bobby, I think my heavenly dad calls me Bobby. He said, stop hiding and start seeking me because I am yours and you are mine. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you hiding in some way, but we can't hide from you. So we come to you and ask that you would touch our lives in the deep, intimate, personal parts that need healing and assurance. We ask that you would transform us and take this moment and turn it into a movement of your grace and love in our life because we can't give what we don't receive. And Father, we pray right now that we would receive your grace and love so we can spread it across our church, into our families, into the valley that you might be known so that others might know they are daughters and sons of the King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.